0: Hello, hello, hello. These are your hosts, and Tantappan, and this is Korbyu Money. We are talking about money because your friends and family won't. Today, we have a special guest with us. Uh, we have Dylan Jacobs from Vintage Value Investing. Dylan, on his blog, talks about investing, value investing strategies, and other resources to get started, which we will try to capture in today's episode. So, let's get started. Dylan, like, do you like? do you would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks guys. Um, thanks for having me on by the way. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm Dylan Jacobs. I'm owner of uh, Vintage Value Investing. Uh, I'm 27 years old. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from the US, from uh, Ohio, but I am living currently in, uh, in Germany. Um, so my job is, I've been lucky, my job has taken me around the world. I've gotten to live in Asia, uh, Washington, DC, and now I'm in Europe. So, um, I've been really fortunate in my, uh, 20s to have a really, really cool job that takes me around the world and see new things and experience new things and people and places. So, um, yeah. so I, I, my, you know, uh, my job, my day job, I'm an analyst. I'm a geopolitical analyst. I look at countries and I, I study them and I, and I make assessments on what I think they're going to do. Um, so, uh, and, and that kind of got me to naturally a- analyzing things got me interested in investing. Uh, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of where I stand right now, you know, with, uh, with my, and that's kind of how I started my investing journey. Um,
0: so yeah. Cool, sure. cool. So Dylan, so you, you said like uh, your role as an analyst that like you got interested in investment because of that. So like, was were there any resources or anything that you read and like why value investing specifically? Yeah. So,
1: um, you know, through kind of like my training, like on the job training and just like recommendations, there's a lot of books, um, that I've read or, and and then just like, you know, like I said, like on the job type of training where, um, you know, you just get really good at analyzing things. Um, it's, I can't, I can't really explain it unless you're, you're doing it all the time. It's, it's very, it's a very, um, kind of uh, an expertise that's learned by doing um, right so so there's really not many resources you can read about that'll really teach you how to do an analysis at least in my opinion um you get a lot of overarching things and themes and, and stuff to talk about but but really it's it's doing it and writing uh you know assessments and figuring out what you think or what you th- or figure out what you don't know um yeah. is almost more important i Really started getting serious about it a few years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my wife, uh, um, we've—I was i have always been very financially like savvy, if you will, or, or financially like you know s- s- smart. Um, I, I never blew my money or did anything. I had a pretty good personal finance, uh, you know, background. Um, but, but so I didn't know much about investing, but I knew to at least pay down debt. <laughs> so I uh, I decided to you know my wife's student loans uh we're coming due and we we're like you know what let's just knock these out as fast as we can so we we were able to knock out about uh, 30 grand of her debt in like 2 years so we really really went at it mm-hmm. and um and after that um i had a lot more cash flow every month so i was like i need to figure out what to do with this cash flow right and i don't want it to just sit in the bank so that's when i started to learn about investing um and um So i started you know learning about index funds and etfs and the market and all that stuff and i was like okay this is really intriguing this is really interesting right um you know and so i started out pretty basic right just putting my money in etfs um you know broad index funds um and just dollar cost averaging and not really caring what the market was doing or what the economy was doing or whatever just just throwing it in there right so doing something which is which is fine for most people right um but eventually i started reading more and i started getting more more involved, more intrigued into, um, into uh, investing, specifically value investing, because uh, to me, uh, it, it makes the most sense. It's the most common sense. It's the most grounded. It's, it's the thing that really um, is timeless. Um, and that's kind of why my site is called Vintage Value Investing, right? Because it's, it's a vintage method. Um, it never goes out of style. So then I started, you know, moving overseas. Um, My job takes me overseas. So I I really started to want to get into real estate. Um, But unfortunately, being overseas, there's a lot of difficulties in getting into real estate. So um, even, you know, wanting to go back home, property management, all this stuff, it's, you know, it's just very complex. So um, I, uh, instead of, of, of settling towards typical real estate, like physical real estate, I started looking at digital real estate or on, in online and websites. Um, and that's actually when I came across Vintage Value Investing is I went to a site called Flippa.com and I found Vintage Value Investing. And so, so I didn't like, I haven't um, really disclosed this to a lot of people, but I, I am not the founder of the site. I bought it off of the original founder who at the time put it up for auction. Uh, he, he, um and we had a really some really good talks and I talked to him about it and uh we have all, like almost the same exact investing uh, philosophies like just almost to a T. I was like I was like wow this is crazy like that I found someone else that exactly like thinks the way I do about this and our, our 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 voice is very similar and like this could really work. This could really be something. So one it's that it's something I'm interested in, right? So it's a website and a blog that, that interests me. It's a topic that interests me and I really, really enjoy it and it's something I'm passionate about. Um, and two, this is a great investment opportunity. I can I can turn it into hopefully a business and and um, and and make it something of my own. Um, and so I bought it, you know, we came to an agreement. I bought the website and so far it's been a really great investment, a really great journey. Um, I've learned a lot. I mean, I've, I forced myself to learn a lot uh, to go through this journey of one, just just websites and management and blogging, um, but also investing, like, you know, reading and learning uh, more about value investing and um, developing my own strategies even further and evolving throughout that time. So that's kind of how, uh, you know, my, value investing journey started and
2: that's kind of where it is now so um so um, let's talk about like how was that uh, buying process right like uh, w- what was the website you mentioned again
1: so the website that i i uh bought vintage value off of was called flip uh it, that was back in 2019 is when i bought it so it's been about almost two years ago now um so uh, yeah uh, it was, it's a very professional, uh, service actually. Um, I think they're based in Australia, but, um, they're, you know, global and worldwide, but, um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's tons and tons of websites for sale that you can just peruse, you know, it's like digital real estate, you know, it's like looking up on, uh, on your local, on, 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 Zillow and looking up your local homes, it's like the same thing except digital. Um, so it's really fascinating. Um, and there's tons of websites that, you know, are gushing cash flows, um, you know, every month for, from ad revenues and, and from, you know, affiliate marketing, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many ways you can make money online. Um, so uh, I was really just kind of looking to dip my toes into it um, and because I, I had some cash and I again I wanted to invest that cash and I already felt like I had enough exposure into the market so I kind of wanted to diversify and I kind of wanted to start my own business or take over a business um, and do something different. Right. So and kind of expand. Um, So, yeah, it was a it was a really interesting process. There really aren't that many laws, rules or regulations for this. Um, In fact, the website tells you that directly, which is nice. They're very upfront about it, but they also provide a lot of services um, uh, or direct you or tell you this is what you should do. Like, this is what we recommend. Like we recommend if you're going to make a big purchase, kind of like what I did. hire a lawyer or hire somebody that knows how to draft up contracts. So you're protected when you're signing and transferring assets and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so I just, you know, I took the advice and went through with it and everything turned out all right. And, um, uh, and it's been nice ever since, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of learning to do, um, online in online real estate. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's quite the journey. It's quite the journey. Everybody's at be, at the behest of Google, um, right. and Google is ever changing all the time, uh, it's changing their own rules. So, um, yeah, it's it's quite an experience for sure. But um, one, I've really learned a lot of, of about myself, and I've learned a lot about the internet in general and, and really how to capture eyeballs and really what you need to do. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's always a learning experience for sure. Mm.
2: And was there, did you do, uh, like one of the main component of value investing is to determine an intrinsic value of any asset that you're trying to purchase. Did you go through, uh, did you do an intrinsic value on, on the website that you were buying and like what metrics or what did you, what was your, what were your inputs?
1: Yeah, so I I bought uh, the site probably for way more than what I should have. I definitely overpaid. Um, I did do an interest valuation, and I and uh, I ended up getting in a bidding more and I and I overbid purposefully. I really kind of made an emotional decision, and this is um, kind of where a lot, this is where a lot of investors go wrong. And I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, I didn't. I don't think I went wrong necessarily. I'm very happy. I bought the site, um, but I definitely know that I overpaid for it because, uh, I kind of got in a bit, like I said, kind of gotten a bidding war and kind of let my emotions get carried away uh, because I really wanted it. I really, really, really wanted it. And I, and I felt like this was the right purchase for me. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I definitely bought over what I think it was worth, but, um, I, I, w- I would still buy it, you know, at the same price again, if I had to do it over again, um, because I, I, I really uh, i really enjoy it so mm.
0: yeah cool uh switching gear like going back to your website right um mm-hmm. like what is value investing because uh i i always thought like value investing and growth investing are kind of the same thing so like i just wanted to like understand more about like uh what what's the difference between those two strategies you know
1: sure yeah um so I'll give you kind of the broad definition of how most, um, financial institutions will define value investing and growth investing. And I'll kind of tell you what I think about that. So, so most financial institutions will describe value investing and growth investing as two sides of one of a spectrum, right? On opposite sides of a spectrum. So value investing is typically thought as buying stocks, at low price to earnings and low price to book multiples. Um, So stocks that are selling cheaply um, and simply buying those cheap stocks and letting them appreciate. That is the typical definition of value investing based off of a few metrics. Um, Not really concerned about business quality. Just looking at metrics buying and, and then selling if they appreciate. Growth investing, on the other hand, is typically defined as buying pricier assets or pricier stocks at higher valuation multiples, So higher price to earnings, higher price to book multiples Um, and then just letting them ride um, or still you can still trade and do the fair value thing. But most most growth uh, as they defined it, investors are Um, really those that are willing just to buy at any price, um, without regard of the the underlying fundamentals. So those are the two, like I said, typical definitions of, of value and growth investing, and, and and they are not viewed as working well together. You're either one or the other in most people's minds. I don't really like this. Uh, I, I don't think that investing really has to be, um, you know, put into two camps or or more than two there's far more than two camps but like it even put into any camp uh you've heard probably everybody's heard this a many times but investing is far more than uh it's, it's an art and a science right so it's there's there's a lot more to it than just a couple things uh, it's very complex the, the markets and economies are super complex things um so really um there there is there really isn't a Uh, You shouldn't put a label on your investing and honestly, vintage value investing is kind of uh, (laughs) uh, doesn't really help in that regard because, uh, you know, it is it is still identifying as a value investing. But but how I how I kind of define value investing is intelligent investing or really knowing what you're buying, why you're buying it and still and not just buy based off of metrics. Um, and in multiples and, and even certain numbers, because at the end of the day, what really matters is, um, the underlying value of an asset and then what you sell it for. Um, so really, so really that's kind of my, I I have a whole blog post talking about this, um, but there's really, um, you know, there's no one size fits all in um, mm-hmm. in value investing, growth investing, any investing, thing, everybody has everybody does their own thing. And, and and as proper as as good investors, I think your styles should also evolve over time as you learn more. Um, for instance, I, I'm actually reading a book right now um, that is called 100 Baggers by Christopher Mayer. Super good book, really really good book, and it's basically looking at stocks that. I've appreciated a hundred times over um, in the shortest period of time and how to find those certain stocks. Um, that's something that I haven't really done. Um, it's, it's something that I've known about. That's, that's, that's what would be defined as typical growth investing, but but also still using common sense with valuation in, in, in regards to valuation. So um, it's something I've never really done in this. And this is, I found this read to be really intriguing. So um, I will probably add something like this to my investing style where i start to screen and look for these certain types of stocks and businesses uh because they could turn out to be that that can turn out to be a very lucrative style of investing so um yeah again i there is no one way it's a part art part science i think everybody should be have an open mind and don't be so dogmatic, um, the, you know, there's there's never a dichotomy, like a strict dichotomy. I don't like that, um, it, you know, oh, be willing and open to new ideas. It's always is always going to lend more uh, to uh, to your investing. So, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I think that goes back to like uh, uh like Twitter bio, uh, strong opinions, loosely held, right? You constantly need to. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's interesting um and and i agree like it's more uh, you know it's more art than science like investing is is about uh, a lot about human emotions also right um uh, but Absolutely. but you need to start uh, you need to look at the numbers as well like value investing definitely has a big component uh, to that also like you need to look at the the fundamental nature of of the company um and so like how do you how do you look for ideas like how, like do you you know, like, do you have any resources? Do you, how do you begin to uh, get like, build a universe of companies that you're interested in?
1: Yeah, so how I typically uh, start is I always have a list. I think everybody already has a list themselves in their head of what companies they love and what companies they'd love to own, um, you know, uh, but but maybe you can't buy because they're too expensive or you just don't know enough about them or you, you know, need to do more research, whatever. I think everybody or at least all good investors i think should have a watch list that they're just waiting on to buy um so um i always have that watch list um but i also have i also screen that's just my preferred method i i I like to screen for certain metrics depending on what i'm going for um so i have different styles and strategies that i I go for um so you know depending on what style I'll, i'll screen i'll try and screen the best i can for it and then Um, what I do is, um, I look, I, a lot of people don't do this, but I, I look at the numbers first. Um, so for instance, I I, I guess I can go ahead and talk about my kind of my investing style. Um, I, I kind of mainly for now, um, I, I, I kind of define my investing style into two different strategies, two different broad strategies. One is quality investing and one is deep value and type of investing. So deep value is, um, really how Graham, uh, ben Graham did uh, his investing, whereas he was simply just buying cheap stocks uh, at, at, and selling them uh, once they hit their, um, you know, asset value or once they hit their intrinsic value. Simple just buying a cheap stock cheaper than what you've calculated it to be and selling it once it gets to your estimated intrinsic value. Very simple. Um, sometimes he would hold on for a long time. Uh, sometimes he wouldn't. Um, it really depends on the, the the moves of the market, right? Um, and then there's the quality style, which is what Buffett does a lot um, is, is um, he he is more concerned about not overpaying for stock, right? So he's looking for metrics that are um, profitability metrics so return on assets return on equity um you know return on invested capital um those are the kind of metrics that buffett is concerned with so not overpaying looking for a good management good profitability um projecting earnings and cash flows as far as he can and then holding forever so as long as he doesn't buy at too high a price there really isn't a bad investment um, and if you continue, if you let it continue to compound for decades. Um, so that's that's kind of where I so like that's where I kind of narrow down where I like to look. So if I'm looking for a deep value type of investment, um, I try to screen for, you know, still look for low multiples, but I, I do have, um, uh, you know, other. Uh, screening strategies to define the to not throw out the baby with the bad water and still find those good stocks that are still selling at what is perceived to be cheap multiples I like to use uh, rather than price to earnings and price to book multiples I like to look at like price to free cash flow because free cash flow is always a, a better determination of of uh, uh, earnings power than actual earnings is because earnings can be easily manipulated so that's what I like to look at is, is really cash flows um, from a business. And if the if, if stock or, a, you know, a business is trading, you know, below uh, or at a low price for cash flow, that's that's a good sign that they're doing, you know, that you're, you're actually finding a cheap stock. Um, and as well as I look for four other categories, uh, revenue, I call these my core four: uh, revenue, earnings or net income, book value, or equity per share um, and uh, free cash flow. So if all of those things, I, I like to see, those are just the general things I'm looking at in business. If all of those things are consistently going up over the past decade, that's what I like to see. I like to see stability. I like to see pr- that I can easily project cash flow, earnings, revenue growth, that shows that the company's growing, that some, they're, they're healthy, there's something going on that's right with the business. Um, so I, I like to look at that simply because it's easier as an analyst to, to project and to to figure out what those are gonna be if you can see it over history, right? When you see a company that has very volatile cash, uh, free cash flow or earnings or or revenue, um, it makes it a lot harder to try and figure out what's going on. So just kind of seeing that it's a good business, and seeing those models grow is really my first indicator that there's something good here. Um, and then that's when I look at the stock. I, I start looking at more profitability numbers like return on equity, return on assets, um, what the business actually is, what they're doing, how good management is. So like really, I sort of sort of start with the uh, the quantitative factors, and then I move into the qualitative part where I look at the all the un you know non tangible things about the business. Um, That's just, yeah, that's just kind of how I do it. Now, if I have a business that um, I know I want, so for instance, say Google, right? Um, If I know I want to buy Google, um, but it's too expensive, which I would argue it is right now, um, I just have to wait for the market to drop, right? Or for the correction in price. Um, So yeah, so that's, you just put that one on your watch list, wait for it to hit your price, target, and that's it. And so sometimes you already just, you just know what you want and you just got to set that target. Um, so yeah, so that there's kind of like two ways. Like I go looking in the market for things by screening. And then I already have an idea of some things that I want either through previous research or just because I know it's a good buy or I know it's a good business and I just want to own it for a long time. But I want to. I don't want to overpay, um, so I kind of do both of those things um, uh, simultaneously, um, consistently. So,
0: and I wanted to ask you, like, we touched upon the quantitative side where you said you have the four core metrics, um, right? Like, but like, what do you look at on the qualitative side? Like, what are the things that you look at specifically for a company? Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah. So when I uh, look for um, good companies, I, like I said, I want to look for good management and um, um, making sure that they're not, you know, putting money in their own pockets and they're putting money back into the business and they're not being overpaid and they're aligned with shareholders. Um, so the way you do that is look for executive compensation, make sure they're not getting paid too much in regards to like how much the company's earning, uh, how much, and how much the money, you know, how much cash flow the, the business is bringing in. Um, if they're getting a lot of stock options, uh, that, that look kind of iffy. Um, but basically you want to see if the management is aligned, like I said, with shareholders, um, and making sure that they're, uh, that their success relies on the business success and shareholder success. And that you want the shareholder, you want them to be beholden to shareholders and compound shareholder wealth because that's what a business is supposed to do at the end of the day. Um, so um, that's that's kind of the things I look at. And, 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 and one thing I've, I've actually learned a lot in recent recently in the book, I'm reading 100 uh, Baggers by Christopher Mayer is finding those owner-operators, um, so companies like Facebook, for instance, that have Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, it's a very controversial figure, very controversial company, but um, but he definitely is. He's an owner-operator and has definitely made wealth for shareholders. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter how you look at it. Um, he's definitely um, brought a very big, unique business to market and has compounded shareholder wealth. So. In regards to shareholders he's been a fantastic ceo um in that regard so that's kind of what is really important is is you want you want that kind of um that that kind of leadership at the helm of your company um and that's really going to be really personal to each investor and that's the one of, like i said one of the hardest hardest things uh, you really have to read and listen to annual reports and shareholder meetings um that's actually the, my biggest I guess tip is and, and thing is to get to get insight into what the, comp, you know, what the uh, leadership and the management of the company is doing. You have to, you have to like go to their sh- and listen to the shareholder meetings, um, and, and or read the transcripts because, and not just the last quarter or the last annual meeting, you got to go back for a few because you really want to see if they're making good on their promises and they're not reneging on those promises. Um, so that's really important, right? And that takes time. A lot of this takes time. Uh, so a lot of people don't want to do it, and and it and it is time-consuming. But 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 it can be worth it can be worth it. And it can be it can be worthwhile. Uh, so management and then competition is really the other thing I look at. So I look for those moats, economic moats, as Buffett likes to call them, right? So is the business strong? Is it is it vulnerable to competitors? Um, do they have a wide moat where it's easy or it's hard for competitors to you know uh uh, take over that that company um and and their business so that's that's really what i look at is is the competition and how and how well the company has been able to fend off that competition um either by strength of business or by uh, strength and management or whatever right there's multiple different kinds of moats you know economies of scale you have networking effects you have pricing power you have brands right there's so many different kinds of moats that a company can have uh so really trying to identify those those kinds of of uh, advantages are really important and and the more the more a company has the better so um that's really what I those are the things I look for on the on the on the qualitative side um of a business
2: Cool. So, okay. So you have a watch list of all the companies that you're interested in and you keep on adding, uh, you analyze them using like the four core framework. Uh, then you, you know, if you, if the numbers make sense, you go out and actually study the business model, look at all the qualitative aspect management and uh, other, other like mode uh, features of the company. Um, and then you calculate probably like an intrinsic value. Do you have like a preferred method of how do you calculate it? I
1: yeah, I actually I have a, a a lot of methods that I use, um, and that's just because I've learned uh, I've learned a lot uh, on how to. I love valuation. That's honestly my favorite part of investing is is getting down to the valuation, like plugging in the numbers, seeing what I get, um, see how you know how my thinking and the numbers align. Um, actually, um, one of my favorite um investors uh, professors Oswalth uh, de motor oh, and yeah. Um, okay. uh, yeah yeah super very famous very very smart um, professor um, uh, but he has a saying I think it's like when va- or value investing or valuing is when story and numbers come together so I, I I really truly believe that and it's really whatever your story is for that company and whatever the numbers are those when those all come together and harmonize that's 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 what makes valuation happen. So um, I love doing that. It's fun to me and I, I love to see what my value is of a company versus what the market is. Um, and there's, and there's multiple methods to do that. So my, the gold standard, the one, if I was like, you know, if I'm going to find out how much a company is worth is discounted cash flow or DCF method, method, right? Where you're projecting, um, cash flows out into the future, and then you're discounting those back to present value. Um, That's the gold standard. That is the way to the way to to find out whether or not a company is overvalued is simply discounting those cash flows. Now that isn't it's not perfect. Um, There are definitely flaws within DCF um, that do exist. However, like I said, it is the gold standard, and that is what all equity firms. Stock market analysts. Everybody uses a, a version of discounted kind of cash flows. Um, so I, I do that, just kind of get a baseline. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that's enough, especially if I'm looking at a deep value uh, a candidate or a deep value stock um, where I think the price is below or far below what I think it's worth. Then the DCF method is all you need, because if if you can discount those cash flows and the the stock is trading lower than what you think those cash flows are going to be then it's simple then you're you're done there you go you found a good investment right um but if i'm if i'm looking at a quality style of stock or business uh then it's better to project the cash flows in the future um and making sure i don't overpay now so you know looking at a company that has very stable earnings and, and cash flow growth um, are really important so that way I think okay if, if I think that cash flow or I think that earnings per share are going to grow at 9% a year right what will this price of that stock be in 10 years and then you calculate it based on multiples like price or earnings multiples or whatever and then you discount that back to the day today to find out what price do I buy it at in order to get that return? So um, so that's a different way of doing it. And, and that's definitely like what Warren Buffett does is because he's, he's looking for the long term. Um, so when you want you, all, you, all you have to be concerned about to buy a stock for a long term hold is not overpaying. That's all you have to do. You don't have to buy it at int- below intrinsic value. You just have to buy it at a fair value. You just don't have to overpay. But when you're buying a value stock or, or something that is considered undervalued, you have to buy at a at below market value and at, with a margin of safety. Uh, so, yeah, those are kind of my main two ways. There's a couple of other ways. I, I'm not a big fan of dividends or dividend stocks, really. Um, I, I really don't, especially with, unless you have a portfolio size of millions of dollars, it doesn't make sense. Um, so, I'm not, and I don't, <laughs> unfortunately. But, uh, uh, so I, I, but I do think that dividends are still can present shareholder value. So there is a way to do it. Um, and I, this is very, you know, personal again, but like I I like to view dividends as, you know, as cash flow to you directly, right? So, and that's how the government views it and that's how they tax it. So um, uh, I like to view those cash flows as if I'm gonna buy a stock truly for the dividend, I wanna make sure that that company one is has a very stable dividend growth um and uh and and growth of that dividend and and a consistent dividend make sure it doesn't doesn't get cut right and we a lot of saw we saw a lot of companies last year cut their dividends um and a lot of companies borrow to pay the dividends which is the dumbest thing you can do um so uh anyway so yeah what i like to do is i like to um i like to buy a stock at a value to which the company will pay the price of my stock over the next 10 years. So kind of let me, I'll explain that a little bit better, but um, basically um, if the stock is valued at $50 and if I buy it now with a dividend yield of 5%, right? Um, I want that to, that my that's a 5% yield on cost. Um, from the price of the stock into the to the uh, dividend. So I want that dividend to appreciate and grow to be 100% yield on cost by year 10. So that way the company has paid my the price of admission for me, right? So they paid me back the dividends of what I paid for the stock. Um, and I get to enjoy all of the capital appreciation of the stock for free. Right um, after after that, so I think that's a good method. But the key is you have to buy it at that certain price, um, or else it doesn't work. Um, but that can be a really lucrative, really really lucrative way to value a company. So it's just not my preferred method, but it, it can work. You, but you really have to go hunting for those kind of stocks uh, and, and making sure that it's a good company that's going to pay that dividend and going to grow that dividend, and you can project it out. Um, yeah. So those are those are my preferred ways. I have a few others too, but, um, those are definitely my preferred preferred methods of evaluation. And I always have a great time. I love plugging numbers into a spreadsheet. I always love learning about new methods. Um, in fact, I'm, uh, here in the near future, I'm going to launch a, uh, a release, a, um, my, my spreadsheets that I use, I put them in a lot of my, um, write-ups and stuff. So I've gotten a lot of comments and, and questions about it. So I figured I would, I should release it, uh, you know, my, my models so, so people can get good use out of them. So, um, uh, anyway, yeah, so, uh, that I, I use quite a few methods and it all depends on what where, where the value in the company where i perceive that value to be and, and that's kind of value appropriately
2: cool. yeah that's awesome once you have it on your website let us know we'll, we'll link it to that yeah also and we'll, we'll talk about in a future episode we might even be able to use it right like uh, yeah even, I, i'm a valuation geek like I, I love all sorts of different valuation looking at you know slicing and dicing all the different yeah metrics and trying to come up with a fair price um, okay fine so you you uh, you found a stock that you know is trading at a lower price than what it's actually worth um and then you you buy it uh and you wait till the, you know the market discovers it and and actually uh, the price appreciates uh when do you sell it? like that that for me is like one of the most difficult decision like what's a good time to sell is there do you have any framework around that
1: yeah, so selling is definitely the, the hardest part, one of the hardest parts in investing. I don't think a lot of people talk about it enough. Um, and myself included, I should t- I should write about it more. Um, so for me, it kind of depends on the strategy, right? So if I'm buying a value stock, um, well, I have already calculated the intrinsic value so I already know what it is, right? So it's for me, as soon as I'm buying a value, uh, quote unquote value stock. Um, I sell it as soon as it has, uh, uh it's, it's intrinsic value. Um, pretty simple. Uh, for me, I, I just, the, 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 hardest thing is to maintain discipline, right? When you have a stock that's like, you know, value stock that's just kind of been hanging out for, At the same price for like a year it's like oh my god like (laughs) come on please you know somebody what let let the market please recognize this or something right so you have you have to be strong in your conviction that you think it's really still undervalued and, and it's still gonna present a good return um but sometimes it happens so for instance like i recently bought tyson foods um, it's a really big, really, really big uh, company in the U.S., right? Where they sell mainly meat products. So I bought them back in uh, earlier in February, I believe. And they were trading. Uh, they got palm. Oil uh for COVID last year because um I mean there were meat packing they operate meat packing plants which is very un COVID you know uh, it's not safe for COVID, right? And they had outbreaks and stuff like that. So they got their stock price got pummeled. Um but the business was doing just fine. Uh just cash flow is still growing, the uh, the management was making good investments. Um wasn't perfect, but they but they were making things work. Um and I thought the share price was completely undervalued. So I bought it and, and, uh, and just recently it reached this fair value. What I figured it would be a fair value. And I sold it that simple. Uh, and I made, I think I you know, 15 to 15 to 20% gain on it. So like, you know, it's, it, you have to be willing to find out what you, what return you're happy with. Um, what and and what you have calculated that intrinsic value to be, and then just maintain that discipline to sell when you say you want to sell. Um, so that's, but, but for some, for some stocks, I never want to sell some stocks. I want to hold forever. Um, right. So if I ever get a chance to buy Google, I'm never going to sell Google unless something massive changes with the company. Um, I'll probably, I'll never sell. And actually I, I had, a I um, I will, I will say that um, one one time I, I, di- I didn't say I was going to sell on a stock, but um, I ended up did. It was one of my quality type of stocks. So Apple, I bought Apple back in the COVID crash. I bought a lot of stocks back in the COVID crash because of... <laughs> Yeah. Things were on sale and and to me, I, I calculated uh, Apple to be below the value. So I bought and Apple went on a tear last year. They went up like 80% or uh, probably 100% by now. Right. So I was like, oh, my God. So that at that point, I had I thought Apple was extremely overvalued. Um, and I, I was like, you know what? I'll take my 80% gain um, and I sold. Because I, I, I felt like the stock from the fundamentals had gotten too far, uh, and the stock price had got too far away from the fundamentals. So I sold, so sometimes there is, there are scenarios where I would like to lock in gains to put them elsewhere, but it's very rare that that ever happens for a quality style investment, like a quality stock, like Apple, where the, you know, the metrics get too crazy now uh you know is it still would it still be a bad place to have my money if i decide not to sell probably not it's still a good stock good business um it's just you have to decide you know okay like yeah i've made 80 on this on this investment if it tanks to you know if it has a drawdown of 50 percent, i'm still up right i'm still doing well but um am i okay with that drop um you're just the higher it goes the the more and more theoretically the more and more likely it is to drop um because some money eventually people will recognize that it's overvalued so Mm. you just have to be willing to accept the fact that it could drop Uh, you'll you might lose some money or you you lock in those gains and put it elsewhere so but that to me for me on those quality type of investments are very rare um, I don't usually do that. I usually let them ride, um, and, unless they become crazy. So,
2: yeah, uh, that makes sense. And, and do you have any thoughts on like position sizing? Do you trim it off? Uh, like it's a quality stock, but it's, it's now like way, you know, overweight your portfolio, do you, do you try to trim it or are you just, you're fine with it?
1: No. So I, yeah, like I said, unless it really, uh, gets. To a point where I like kind of where apple did last year right. um i don't really care about my portfolio concentration or size so me personally i don't like to manage a portfolio that's larger than what I can handle. So I really don't like to have more than like 10 to 12 positions. So I'm relatively concentrated. Um, I, that's just my personal, um, you know, method. Um, portfolio management is very, very personal, uh, to every investor. Right. But, um, I, I don't, uh, what is it? I don't cut the flowers to water the weeds as, as, uh, Peter Lynch says. Uh, so I, I, I believe in letting them ri- letting your investments ride. Um, You know, it all depends, but it all depends on what price you paid for the stock. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, I I like to manage, like I said, relatively concentrated portfolio of 10 to 12 positions. And I'll kind of have 60, maybe 70 percent in, excuse me, 60 to 70 percent in uh, quality style stocks where I'm not, I'm just worried about not overpaying. And then the rest of that. Mm. A uh, composite portfolio is comprised of value oriented stocks where I'm looking to lock in gains at intrinsic value and I sell and buy and sell more frequently. So the benefits of this is because, um, portfolio uh less portfolio turnover and also it's, it's more tax friendly um but you still get that nice um appreciate portfolio appreciation um with the value stocks because if they appreciate uh relatively quickly you can really boost your return your overall returns over the long term so um that's just my preferred portfolio method and honestly that'll probably change throughout throughout wow. time, because as we develop, as I develop new strategies, I'm, um, you know, I'll, I'll adjust my portfolio of like, like I said, like I've been reading a lot of Christopher Mayer, uh, 100 bagger and I, I, I'm thinking about seriously like reserving a small portion of my portfolio for those 100 baggers mm-hmm. and, and, and betting on those. Um, so yeah, it, I think uh, I don't think there's any good way, you know, any one way, definitely not one way. There's not a hundred ways to manage a portfolio. Like everybody's gonna do it differently. Um like I don't like to trim. I, I either like to be all in or all out. Um so uh Buffett famously says he doesn't trim, but then he does, so that's kinda weird. <laughs>
2: so um I, I definitely don't like to though. So Yeah. Uh speaking of hundred baggers, uh, what Do you have any thoughts on Bitcoin?
1: (laughs) No. Um, I stay away from crypto. It's something that I actually do understand how it is made, how it is handled. Um, But I, like, you can't, it's not an asset that I can value. Like, there is a limited amount which helps in valuation. But you can't, like, it's not a cash-producing asset, so that's really hard for me to value. Right. Uh, so therefore, I don't. Um, I just don't. I don't have any interest in, in in crypto. I just, I, I just don't. Yeah. Unless it's a, unless it's a cash-producing asset or something that I know its intrinsic worth, of that I stay away from it if I can't
0: calculate
2: it. So, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Cool
0: yep uh now let's let's talk about resources right like uh you talked mm-hmm. about your use screeners right so like do you have any other resources like what screening website or tool do you use and then any other resources that you use podcasts youtube channels that you would recommend anything
1: oh man i have a laundry list of resources <laughs> that i use we love um, this. yeah <laughs> yeah so actually i'm i'm i've recently uh upgrade, uh updated my Theme on my website. I'm updating a lot of things. I'm updating the menus. Um, so I plan to release here very shortly a whole new resources and reviews page. So I've written a, a lot of re- a lot of reviews on some services that I partner with and I, I'm affiliated with. Um, my favorite stock uh, resource platform is Stock Rover. Um, they are great. They're a one-stop shop. Um, a, you know, very, actually, in my opinion, pretty reasonably priced for the power that you're getting, uh, for researching stocks, um, uh, and they, they have very powerful screening capabilities. Um, I have like, like 20 different screens or something like that in my, on my account. Um, this is because I like to screen for different things and, and find, find value in different places. So, um, so yeah, I, I partner with Stock Rover, um, uh, Thinbox, another one is really good for screening and charting specifically. Uh, Stockopedia, also another good one. Uh, Stock Card is really good for beginners. Again, I've written reviews on all of these services on my site. Um, and those are ones that I always use for, uh, for um Uh, research and analysis um and screening particularly um i actually even have a featured screener within stock rover so if you're interested like you know for if if any listeners are interested you can if you want to join Stock Rover, you can see the type of screen that that i've actually created uh myself and um you can you can use it too if you decide to join so um there's some really they already have like hundreds of pre-made screeners and really awesome awesome uh data um that's it's phenomenal uh, what you can find. So uh, while it's not necessary by any means for anybody to have one of these, uh, tools, I find them very useful, very time-saving. Um, all the financial data for 10 years is- you know, going 10 years back is all on these uh, research platforms. So I find them very helpful, but they are absolutely not necessary. Um, uh, So and then, you know, brokerages. I I tend to uh, I'm affiliated with one called M1 Finance. They're very, very popular in the the personal finance community. Um, Really good for investors that are like you know, don't want to trade and they just want to buy and hold and they want to develop a really um, nice portfolio. They're really good. Um, but I, I myself use a full service brokerage like Fidelity. I use Fidelity. Um, but um, yeah, like still it's a free brokerage free trades. I mean, great stuff. Um, some of the uh, other like free resources that I like to use for, for, for fundamental research um, uh, stock row is really good. Um, Wall Street Zen macro trends. um, Quick FS for financial statements is really good. uh so like and for, for portfolio management there's a, a site called share site that's really really well as as, as well for for managing uh and, and calculating returns within your portfolio um and then reading man i do a lot of reading <laughs> honestly most of my time uh in that if you're to calculate my time and in, as investing and like most of it would be reading right so um i love to read um so i i uh, every quarter which i need to do here soon but every quarter i i post uh, hedge fund letters um that hedge funds from all around the uh the globe uh release to their their um shareholders and they publish them put uh Publicly. So I, I round all those up and I put them on my site um, because there's a wealth of knowledge just in those quarterly hedge fund letters that you can get from all different kinds of investors. Um, so I love reading hedge fund letters, really, really good resources. Um, some standout ones are um, Oak Tree Capital uh, from Howard Marks. Um, of course, well, Warren Buffett doesn't do quarterly ones, but he does his annual ones. Um, you know, there's 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 so many. There's so many. I, I could go on. But um, yeah, um man like so any of warren buffett's you know annual letters there's a whole um there's a whole uh, you can go to berkshireathlete.com and look up all of his i recommend anybody that wants to just get the foundation of investing and learn about how warren buffett views investing and businesses just read his letters like just they're they're free um there's so much knowledge uh in, in the letters um and then i read a lot of books um I I love I love reading investment books. I've already talked talked about hundred baggers plenty of times today. Um, also, some of my favorites are uh, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. I, I it's such Peter Lynch is such an easy uh, writing style. Like it's very easy to read, very friendly to noob new, to newbies. Um so de- definitely recommend anything Peter Lynch has written. Um another one, this is a newer one that I've I've been I've read recently that Warren Buffett himself called out um last year in his in his uh annual letter is Margin of Trust um, by uh Lawrence Cunningham and Stephanie Kuba. Um this one is really good and it really gives an insight into um so the kind of the management aspect that I mentioned earlier is what what buffett looked it looks into for um when he's buying a company what he looks into in and for management and he basically viewing his uh management and everybody that he deals with as partners um and that's kind of how you should look at your investment as as a as a partnership somebody you're someone's they're taking your money you're putting your money into a stock right which is run by people so you need to view uh you know view your investments as partnerships. Um so it's a very, very interesting read on the psychology behind like the relationships that you need to invest like to view your investments. And then lastly I'll mention this is one of my favorite books is uh buffetology. This one does not get talked enough about in my opinion. Um I love buffetology. Uh it, it has a lot of um it it's really how honestly how I've kind of developed my uh value investing method so like you know there's a lot of qualitative talk and a lot of quantitative talk and i love that um so there's a lot of, of going in the numbers there's a lot of talking about management and it's like well i just a lot of everything it tells you exactly how to do it um so that's really how i excuse me that's really how i got into um you know I- investing and 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 and, and started to really get into, into evaluation. Uh, it was after I read this book, because they walk you step by step on in the math. I mean, it sounds boring, but it's really fascinating how you can use math in order to um, project returns and, and, and et cetera. Um, yeah, uh, I've recently gotten to a lot of new Substack stack uh, newsletters that a lot of people are writing nowadays. So, so there's some really good ones. I'll mention just a couple real quick. So AGB is a good business. Um, uh, that's a really good newsletter that that these are like I usually uh, do read these for um, like weekly um, kind of uh, 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 stock analysis type of, uh, newsletters. So there's some really good ones. So AGB, there's security analysis by value stock geek, uh, weekly 10 K grammy and value. These are all really good. Um, and there's a plethora, a plethora of other blogs, of course, that I, um, that I frequent, uh, steady compounding with Thomas, uh, is a great one. I, I love ta- everything Thomas writes. Uh, he's a super smart guy. Um, another one I like is uh, Lynn Alden. she does she does a very good website. she does a lot of, of uh, macroeconomic stuff, but she also writes some really good stuff as well. Um, and then lastly, just some youtubers I like to follow. Um, there's so many but uh, there's also a lot of trash on YouTube. Um, but but I, I obviously love uh, AsWAT the Motorum. Um, if you if, if he's definitely a lot more advanced, um, actually, and earlier in my career, I was very aware of the motor, but I strayed away from him because I, I was like, I can't. He's too far too advanced for me. But, you know, so once definitely not for beginners, but once you start understanding the foundation of some stuff, I mean, he he posts all his. He uh, publishes all of his yeah all of his lectures on YouTube for free. I don't know how he gets away with this, but he does. And then and then his blog, um, it's amazing. So like you can get you can get an education and in value investing for free, on YouTube and on his blog. It's amazing. Um, so highly recommend it. Once you kind of get past the fundamentals, I highly recommend DeMotoran. Very smart guy. Um, Another one that's really good is Sven Carlin on on YouTube. He's he's very very smart. He's I think he's a PhD. He's a smart smart guy. Very entertaining, um, and yeah, that's that's really that's really about it. Um, I, I I have a plethora of of resources that I use, um, and. Yeah, it's hard for me to even say, like, which one's the best, which one's the worst because I I just use a ton, uh, the more resources, the better.
0: Yeah, that was quite a list. Definitely waiting for your resources page on your website. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think we've covered everything. Uh, But just to end the episode, do you want to talk about, like, vintage value investing real quick about your blog and then the membership that you have on your platform?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, recently I've kind of undergone a new theme, uh, you know, I've updated, updated the theme on my website. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going through a refresh period. Um, so I've recently relaunched uh, a new newsletter. Uh, I, so I had a weekly newsletter before that I, I gave to everybody for free. Um, just kind of going over, I would post once a week on VVI on and then I would uh, send out the, the, uh, the the article and then some other things that I found throughout the week. So I had a video of the week and I had like, you know, what went on in the markets, that kind of stuff. So I kind of, I found myself really looking to, uh, start writing more about valuing companies. I really enjoy writing about my analysis and my thoughts on, on, on valuation and valuing companies. Cause that's, at the end of the day, you can talk all you want about, theories and stuff, but until you put it into practice, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I, I started a new Substack, um, uh, a free, free stuff. Sub-stack, substack. I should mention that. Um, and, uh, it's all, it's called stock spotlight. So I basically, I pick a stock every, every week and I write, um, you know, and I go through and I screen it based on Warren Buffett's core principles, uh, which are, which is principle one is a business we can understand. Uh, principle two is, um, uh, one that has good prospects, three operated by good management and four at a fair price. So I screen the business and I write about each of one of those principles and how the business is either failing or passing in those principles. And I assign the, the company a score at the end. Um, so I really love doing that because one it, it kind of keeps me honest and kind of keeps me engaged and making sure I'm doing analysis on companies um, and and showing what, what I what I go through what I do what I look for and that's just kind of this is like a, these are surface level dives they're not very deep dives I'm really not diving into the numbers or anything like that um, but I, I love still to do the research um, and I at the end at the very end of the articles I do a discount of cash flow to show exactly what how I'm uh, trying to value the company um, and determine whether it's a good price or not. So I've only written a couple issues. I just started it recently. Like I said, I'm kind of going through a refresh period. So um, but I'm really enjoying it. I think I've got a lot of good feedback from it. So I think people are really liking it. Um, And then my premium membership, I'm I'm starting that here very, very shortly. I'm I'm getting things uh, set up for it. But um, yeah, so the premium membership is going to be simply um, research reports on stocks. So again, I really, really like to do. So basically, if you're interested in Stock Spotlight and you enjoy it, um, this content is, is, you know, for people that really enjoy reading about stock analysis, which I do. Um, So um, I'll basically write, um, I plan on writing about long, in-depth articles about a specific stock that are probably, Four to 6,000 words a piece, and I'm gonna go, I go through everything. I go through the qualitative and the quantitative factors. In fact, that's how I break it down. I break it down, I start with the qualitative portions of the business, like management, um, competition, you know, business overview, how they make money, et cetera, um, and then I go to the qualitative portions. And I talk about the numbers and the financials, the, the income statement, the cash flow statement, the balance sheet, how the company is managing their debt, and then I go into the valuation. Talk about uh, what kind of company this is. Is it a quality company? Is it a value company? How do I value the company? Um, discount cash flow, earnings growth, et cetera. And then and then what I think long term of the company or short term of the company, what do I expect? Um, and how should this fit into your portfolio? So um by no means are they recommendations, they're just simply uh um research reports and I plan to offer um two per month. Um, so um, I, I, I try to offer some really good value to readers and people that are interested and maybe don't have the time to do this themselves and, and, and want some, uh, you know, a helping hand uh, or somebody to help them along with some research. That's that's good quality research, um, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's kind of what I plan to launch here with the premium membership. And um, I'm, I welcome anyone aboard. I'm super excited to start. And um, yeah, and uh, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. It's been great
0: yeah it, it sounds exciting and to all the listeners like if you want to check out his website the newsletter the membership program or any of the resources that dylan went through today we link everything in the show notes uh but just to bring the show home thanks dylan thanks for doing this yeah, this you. was really helpful fun yep absolutely loved it, guys Yep, really appreciate it and um if you guys like cold brew money, please leave us a review, share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us a lot. For now, these are your hosts, Rathir Antappan, and this was Cold Brew Money.